Good morning. It's not a place I would rather be on this side of eternity than right here with all of you this morning. I, I do have to admit, though, there's something odd in the air. I don't know if any of y'all have picked up on it. Seems like all of the families are dressed up a little nicer, like maybe they're going to take pictures today. I don't know what that's about. Um, but the thing I've noticed the most is all these dads being like extra sweet. Like Chris Hall was changing a diaper at the beginning of church. So, I, so it makes me wonder, wonder what's going on. So to all of our mothers, I want to say happy Mother's Day. Chris, that's not enough. You're going to need some additional gifts. Okay. We're so grateful for our mothers, for all that y'all do. Um, this really is a special day to, to get to honor y'all. Um, man, we, couldn't, we wouldn't be here without our mothers, and, and we couldn't do it without so many of you. I know for some, this is a bittersweet day. Um, today is a day with a lot of memories, and you're thinking back on fond memories that you had with your mother, and I'm certainly grateful for so many legacies that we see represented in this room today. We're going to study the, the story of, of Hannah in 1 Samuel chapters 1 and 2 today in, in honor of Mother's Day. And I would like for you to open your Bibles there. We're going to pretty much settle into those two chapters, spend all of our time there. So I would really love for you to open your device, open your Bible so that you can read the words with me and, and, and glance at them as we talk about them. Um, we want to take a glance at the glimpse at the life of Hannah. Um, we're going to Start by gathering some, some context and just reading the story. I thought about telling it to you, but God tells the story so much better. So we're going to read the first 20 verses of 1 Samuel chapter 1, and then uh, we're going to talk about that a little bit, and then we're going to zero in on a particular phrase that Hannah used that I think we can get something out of. So let's start with the text. 1 Samuel 1, 1 through 20. There was a certain man of Ramatham Zophim of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuth, and Ephrathite. He had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other, Penina. And Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. Now, this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Penina, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore, Hannah wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep and why do you not eat and why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and, and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart, 
Only her lips moved, and her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken woman, and Eli said to her, How long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered, No, my Lord, I'm a woman troubled in spirit. I've drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I've been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and and vexation. Then Eli answered, Go in peace. And the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, Let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. And they rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord. Then they went back to their house at Ramah, and Elkanah knew Hannah his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son, and she calls his name Samuel. For she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. The process of becoming a mother was quite an extensive one for Hannah. You know, I look out through the congregation, and I know for some of you, um, becoming a mother was something that came quite easily, quite naturally. I know there's others uh, amongst my voice who've struggled and maybe were blessed with a child, or maybe struggled and, and never were blessed with a child. We come to this story with a lot of a uh, a lot of different baggage and a lot of different expectations. As I, as I look at it, one thing's for certain. Panina, for her, the task of motherhood seemed to be something that just happened without a thought. Something that she took for granted and even used as a knife to kind of jab at Hannah. Um, all mothers aren't granted the ability to, to have children so easily. In fact, as I look throughout Scripture, I find that it's kind of a recurring motif how often did God use the, the prayers of a barren woman or a woman who was previously barren to raise up the, the next generation of the faithful among Israel? It's really interesting how often that happens. We see that despite the, the mental anguish that some of these mothers went through, they are prepared in a special way through that to raise up a, a God-fearing young child, and such is the case with Hannah. You know, This stands as a constant reminder to all of us that often the things that we may take for granted are the blessings that others are fervently praying for. Now, I would love to say that if you are hungering for a child, that this story gives you a recipe for how to get one. Weeping and fervent prayer to the Lord, a vow to dedicate the child to God, and then a trust that you have in in Him hearing and answering is your prayer. But the truth is this, this story does not give us a a formula for how to get our prayers heard. The story isn't a formula for how to um, get the barren to conceive. This text is not about barrenness. I don't believe this text is even about prayer. It's about the unique circumstances through which God is going to raise up this temporary horn of salvation for Israel. This text at its core is about God, and it shows how God is planning and acting and on behalf of his nation, and he does so through this broken, hurting, and unsuspecting person, Hannah, in a powerful way. So at its core, this text really isn't about motherhood, though it gives us some wonderful models to follow. At its core, this text isn't about prayer or even answered prayers. I think it gives us some wonderful models to follow. At its core, this text isn't about how we make bargains with God and uphold our end of the deal if this bargain comes true. I suppose that there's a 
a model there in that for what we should do. Are, are we to promise something to God? We should certainly honor those claims. At its core, though, this, this text is about God Himself. It shows us how God brought us to where we are today. This is a piece of our history, a piece of our story. And we see that it was through trial and difficulty that this young mother-to-be was brought to the feet of God in prayer and prepared for this huge monumental task. We see it was through the faithfulness of this earthly mother that God chose in this instance to accomplish his goals using her faithfulness. And I believe as we look out into the world today and God's working that he is still using faithful mothers in powerful ways today to change the course of history. So on this Mother's Day, I want to look closely at how Hannah responded to the gift of motherhood and see if we can learn anything from it. Let's continue reading the text, verses 21 through 28. The man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and to pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, As soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him, so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord establish his word. So the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned him. And when she had weaned him, she took him up with her, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, and a skin of wine, and she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. And the child was young. Then they slaughtered the bull, and they brought the child to Eli, and she said, Oh, my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who was standing here in your presence praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there. Right there, verse 28. That's the key verse that I want us to zero in on. My title is Lent to the Lord, the Ultimate Challenge and Aim of Motherhood. We're going to spend some time, I want to look at that phrase, Lent to the Lord, and determine what it means. I think we're going to see that as we wrestle with some of the language in the text, and then we're going to ponder together how this really is the ultimate challenge and aim that we're called to, both as mothers and as individuals. So let me ask you this, Lent to the Lord, what does that mean? Does it, like, you, like me, make you a little bit uncomfortable to hear Hannah say that phrase? i got to be honest, as I was preparing this sermon, I, I kind of picked my text ahead of time, and you kind of have this idea of, of what you want to say, and then I, I really read it, and I really hear the words that come out of Hannah's mouth, and I think, really, Hannah? And now I have to preach on that. You're going to lend him to the Lord. There's something about that that makes me cringe just a little bit. Um, and, I, and I think that has to do with um, how we use language. I want to think a little bit about what we mean if we're going to lend something out. Okay? If you're going to lend something out, you're essentially allowing someone else to borrow it. You're not transferring ownership, um, but you're giving someone else the temporary rights to use something that is yours. So me and my brother and my dad are always lending each other tools. It's borderline stealing. Um, but it's this kind, of, this kind of cycle of the tools going back and forth, but really they're lent, and, and we share all of these things. It's a sharing, but that's different than when we give something. 
When we give something, we are transferring ownership without any expectations, without, without any expectations that we get to make decisions about that or control that. The person who has it is free then to pass it on, to give it to someone else. Giving literally means that we no longer have possession of what we hand over. So as we look at this text, we, we see that there's, there's some difficulty here. If scholars, uh, the, the commentators that I've read, um, actually wrestle with this word a lot. Some of your translations, instead of saying Lent, may say something like dedicate. Um, a lot of, a lot of uh, Bible verses translate the word dedicate. They had a decision to make. Best I can tell, in the Hebrew, there was some word play that was happening here. So the literal word is Lent, but when Hannah, when Hannah, the reason that they think Hannah chose to use it is because it played off this kind of rhyming situation with the word she used for to give from God. So, so there's this word play, this connection between God's giving and Hannah's giving back that just doesn't translate well into English. So the scholars have had to decide, well, do we, do we write the word as it is, Lent, and let Hannah say something that makes us cringe a little bit? Or do we soften it a little bit and try to capture the essence of what he means, dedicate this child to the Lord? And I, I wrestle with that, and probably both of those have an element of correctness to it. But before we're too quick to just move on and, and choose a word that's easier, choose a word that makes us feel better about it, to wave our way our discomfort with um, some sort of Hebrew wordplay that I certainly don't understand and most of y'all wouldn't either, I think we should think critically about these particular words, in particular the literal one, Lent. I want to ask you a question, a little bit of a riddle. Is there anything that you own that you can't give away? I want you to think about that. Anything that you own that you can't give away? You know, we uh, own a lot of tangible material things that we have the freedom to transfer. So I'll take the, the phone, the cell phone that's in most of your pockets. Most of you wouldn't give it away, but you could if you chose to, right? You could, you could choose to gift that to someone, to hand it to someone, and, and you, could, you could give them absolute possession of it. It could be theirs. You could let them have and control it. You could choose to give that away. But there are other non-tangible things that have been introduced to us also. So maybe on that device you have an audiobook or an e-book or um, maybe some music that you've purchased. That's a little harder for us to kind of wrap our mind around ownership. I mean, we used to have eight, tra eight tracks and then cassette tapes and then CDs, and, and those we could hand off to someone as if we owned them. But now there's this kind of weird, intangible rights of ownership, and we don't quite know how to manage those well. Those seem to kind of be attached to us despite the devices that might come in and out of our control. I want to keep pressing you into that thought. I want you to keep thinking about that. Are there other things outside of that, that that you may own and control and possess, but that you cannot really freely give away? I think that there is. I think that there is a peace that lives inside of you. We all have this intangible choice maker I'll put it that way, this, this thing that's hard to define, it's the essence of who we are, our soul, our will, our, our self. You have it, and, and you control it, and you interact with it every day, you use it every day, but you can't really share it or, or give it or, or transfer it. 
So we might use language like this to help us understand what we're talking about. We might say someone gave himself to his work. Or we might say that a mother gave herself to her children. Or we might even say that we as Christians give ourselves to Christ. But do we really mean give in the most literal sense? You see, there's a piece of you that no matter how much you press it in a certain direction, there's a piece of you that you never get to let go of. There's a piece of you that has to daily make the choice to press yourself towards that thing that you're giving it to. So really, in the case of the man who gave himself to his work, what we mean is that he puts a lot of effort and energy. He makes a choice every day to focus on his job. Or to that mother who gave herself to her children, she, puts a, she chooses every day, she chooses every day to give that child, put that child's needs above her own. Or for those of us who are Christians, a similar thing follows. We choose daily to follow him instead of others. So now we circle back to this word that, that Hannah used when she said, I, I lent him to the Lord, this very literal word. And I see that I think, despite my discomfort, it catches a, a nuance that the idea of giving or even dedication maybe doesn't capture. The part of a human that God wants that can't be surrendered except through daily constant choices that's what it pulls us to. Lend highlights for us the continual action involved in giving ourselves to God. The daily choice. So I'm okay, maybe, with the word lent to the Lord. But that brings me to my next uncomfortable encounter. Hannah could lend herself to the Lord. I would agree with that. But how dare she be so presumptive as to think that she could lend another human being to the Lord? Does that make you uncomfortable? Because I think we live in a society where that makes us especially uncomfortable. Now, maybe back then they had a framework for looking at things that was a little bit differently than us. So, I mean, they still lived in an era where there was slavery and the, the relationship with a husband and wife was different than it is now. They viewed people in a, a little more of ownership terms than we are comfortable with today. But, but if that's what Hannah was trying to, to communicate, why didn't she use the word give? If Hannah was viewing Samuel as her property, as if he was her property that she can hand off, why didn't she speak of him that way? way. Why did she use this special word to lend? And here is where I believe we get an insight into motherhood. He may not have been hers to lend. He was Samuel. He was his own person, just like you and I make our own decisions. We are our own entity. But inside of Samuel was an unmistakable piece of Hannah, not just her DNA, but more. Inside of Samuel was a piece of her heart, a piece of her being, a piece of her personhood. And with that, she did get to choose. That piece of Samuel was hers to lend, especially at the beginning. And I believe what a mother chooses to do with the piece of herself that dwells in her children is what makes all the difference. I'm going to say that again. I believe what a mother chooses to do with the piece of herself that dwells in her children makes all the difference. Just like personhood, this isn't something that you can just give away. This is a connection that you always have no matter what. So I want to talk for a little bit about the things that, that mothers do, some of the ways they respond to this little piece of themselves that becomes disembodied and now dwells within another human. Some attempt to keep it close. Keep it close to feel as if it never left. 
And so they bring this child in and they don't want to let go and they, they hold it close to try to keep that piece of themselves almost as if it never disappeared. Others do the different. Others do the opposite. They, they push the child away. They let bygones be bygones and, and they, they build walls there out of self-preservation and they do their best to, prevent, to pretend that that little piece of themselves maybe, maybe wasn't ever really there or isn't really that important and so they, they let it go and, and they disengage. I think more often than not, we see different patterns emerging. Like a a child becomes interested in something that maybe one of the parents, particularly the mother, is interested in. And so then they they press their child, they lend their child to this thing in hopes of living vicariously through them. A sort of immortality, you might say, and and a handing off of ourself in another person. Because I believe that this is the ultimate challenge of motherhood. How are you going to navigate this little piece of yourself that that goes with your children? How are you going to navigate this with your children? And we see this example laid out in 1 Samuel 1.28, this powerful language that lets us know that Hannah chose to lend him to the Lord. That piece that was hers, that piece that was under her control, that piece of her that lived within him, that she gave to the Lord. And for a Christian, I believe this should be the ultimate aim of motherhood. The challenge is navigating this one becoming two, and the aim is to daily give and lend both of those pieces to the Lord. So we see here in the text this powerful decision that Hannah made, not once but daily, which I believe highlights the ultimate challenges that mothers still face today. And an example of how it should be faced. So, so that brings me to the next question. So if Hannah was going to lend her child to the Lord, what are the results that we see come from that? Well, even there in verse 28, we see the first result, result emerge. It says, and he worshipped the Lord there. Now scholars debate who the he is. He worshipped the Lord there. Some say, man, that was a really weird way to phrase things because Samuel was so young, he certainly couldn't have worshipped. So this must refer to Elkanah. And I say, man, I don't know. I have a hard time buying that. I mean, they're not talking about Elkanah in this passage. Others say, well, maybe it should have been plural. They all worship the Lord there. But that's just not what the text says. The text says he. I believe the text is telling us that as, as as Hannah turned Samuel over to God, the first thing that engaged with Samuel was his heart. And Samuel began to worship the Lord. This was prophetic in a sense, and that it was, it was telling us what was going to happen with Samuel as he matured into the role. And it makes even more sense when you realize that the first ten verses of chapter 2 are Hannah's prayer. We read those at the beginning of the service. And at the very end of Hannah's prayer, we also see a point made about how Samuel was transfer, uh, transformed by her choice. At the end of verse 11, it says, Elkanah went home to Ramah, and the boy was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli the priest. So in the, in the, the ten verses of Hannah's praise to God for all that he has done are sandwiched on one side with the fact that, that Samuel was was worshiping the Lord, and and on the other side with the fact that Samuel was ministering to the Lord. And so what we see is in the act of, of Hannah giving over Samuel, of Hannah choosing daily to lend him to the Lord, we see this young man grow in both his connection with God and his service to him. You see, it was the mother's decision to let go that led to this later action when he became able And I believe motherhood, rightly done, is one of God's most powerful and most often used tools to direct history. 
The text continues to paint this picture of Samuel throughout his younger years. It kind of reminds me of Luke talking about Jesus. In 1 Samuel 2.21 it says, Indeed the Lord visited Hannah. She conceived and bore three sons and two daughters, and the boy Samuel grew in the presence of the Lord. 1 Samuel 2.26 says, Now the boy Samuel continued to grow both in stature and then the favor with the Lord and also with man. And then in 1 Samuel 3.19-21 we read, And Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all of Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. So in light of this beautiful story and the the beautiful result even that we see emerging in in Hannah's choice and the, the flourishing that we see in Samuel, why does giving our children to the Lord still present such a challenge for us? Perhaps you don't think it's a challenge for us, but I would disagree. As I look out to the to the world and specifically to God's people, I think we are tempted just as much as others to to collectively press our kids towards things that are temporary. And we really struggle to press our kids towards things that are eternal things. Why why is that? Well, to help us answer that, I, I think we need to put ourselves in Hannah's shoes for just a little bit and think about if you could do the thing that we saw her do in the text. If you could go drop your child off um, at the temple with Eli, what would be the most difficult thing about dropping your child off at the temple? Man, a lot of things that would be tough about that. A lot of things that would give us anxiety. I mean, we think about just not being able to spend time with them. We think about the milestones that would be missed. That would be rough. But, but really at, at the heart of the matter, I think, is this idea of giving up control. Giving control to someone else would be a very difficult thing as a parent. And then when you think about who it was that was going to be raising Samuel, it becomes even more difficult because Eli was a terrible father. He was awful. In 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 12, it says, Now the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. And then, and then the text goes on to, to explain all the awful things that his sons did. I mean, they really were worthless. Sam, uh, Eli had, had failed to pass along the, the torch of faith to his children. And so here is Hannah with her three-year-old son, this miracle baby from God, dropping him off at the feet of this man who couldn't even successfully raise his own children. And I'm going to tell you something. Were I in her shoes, it would be in that moment that I would be renegotiating my deal with God. I'd be saying, all right, look here, God, I know that I said this thing about giving him to you, but we both know there is no way Eli can do a better job of raising Samuel than me. That's what I would be saying. That's what I would want to say, and I think that's what most of you would want to say also, because at the end of the day, we want to be in control. We think that we know what's best because of our connection with our children, that little piece of us that lives within them, we think we're the ones that can do the best job with them. But at the end of the day, that's not the natural, the natural place for Hannah to land was not the place that she landed. She understood that God was in control, not Eli. And so Hannah, in this extraordinary example of faith and trust in the Lord, lends him to the Lord anyway. You know, I think we struggle with trust. 
It's so easy as a parent to see all of the potholes in the roads ahead and and want to step into the lives of our kids and take the wheels and, and dodge the potholes for them. It's so easy as a parent to justify lending our children or or pressing our children towards worldly things because they promise success, because we want our kids to be successful, and we justify it with excuses. We talk about how this sport is going to build self-discipline, and this extracurricular is what's going to give them experience and connections so that they can get a good job, and this person who knows these people and have these connections to help them flourish, man, we can't let them down, so we have to do X, Y, Z to be sure that they are connected with and pleased with the performance of our children. And in all of this, we're providing opportunities, which is a wonderful thing. We should strive to provide opportunities for our kids, but, but how often does it happen at the expense of things that are more important? In my observation, that quite often is the case. And that represents a lack of trust. If you lend your child to God... Do you really think that your child will not succeed? Now, there's no surefire way of growing a successful, faithful child. And how God defines that may be very different than how you define that. Children certainly grow up and choose for themselves. We see examples of that in Scripture also. But one thing stands certain. If your children don't see you trust God with their life, There's no way they will grow up to trust God with their life. Or the chances are at least very small. Hannah gives a beautiful model, an example of what this looks like. In the face of a difficult situation, she trusts God and he answers her prayers. In the face of maybe an even more difficult situation, she honors her vow and, and, and trusts God enough to hand her son off to him to, to go through the painful daily process of lending, of lending him out, of, of pushing him away from her and towards something more important. And that's the model of of motherhood that we've been able to unwrap this morning, the godly model of motherhood. We need women who embrace this ultimate challenge and aim, a bold faithfulness in the Creator, a willingness to, to push their children outside of themselves and towards something bigger, a daily decision to let go of what you want and press your children towards God's purposes, lending them to the Lord. Mothers, I think that is one of the most difficult things that you will do as a mother, is to let go of your children and entrust them to God. But that is the ultimate challenge and aim of motherhood, to raise children whom we lend to the Lord. So to those of you who have done this, thank you. Many of us stand here, sit here, are here because of mothers who have done this well. Thank you. Many mothers here are doing this, and we're watching you, and we know that it can be a a trial at some times, but thank you. Hang in there. You've got it. It is worth it. And there's many who will be doing this in the future, and we've got your back. We are praying for you. We are your greatest cheerleaders. Thank you. We are behind you in this endeavor. One thing is for certain. We all struggle with this in different ways. We serve a faithful God. So when you struggle... May you see that end. May you see his patterns of acting throughout all of Scripture. May you use every piece of influence that you have to every piece of every amount of pull that you have to, to press your child towards God 
May you continue to engage even after your children have left, continue to love and continue to point them towards the only thing that matters. Now, it's not lost on me that there's a lot of us in here who are not mothers. And so to you, I think you have a takeaway as well. Despite your status as a mother or as a father or as neither, you have a part of yourself that can be lent but never given. And each day when you wake up, I wonder, where do you point that part of yourself? You know, for our mothers, Hannah here is the model. Hannah shows us, man, this is a challenge, an extra level of challenge for mothers to let go and press. But for those of us who are not mothers, the example here is Samuel. Because at some point, Samuel began making his own decisions. At some point, Samuel became the one who chose. At some point, the decision became his. And I believe Samuel, in following the pattern of his mother, continued to lend himself to the Lord daily as well. So perhaps I should revise my title to this. Lent to the Lord, our ultimate challenge and aim. Jesus said this in Luke 9, 23. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Daily choices. Perhaps yesterday... You didn't choose well. But what about today? What about tomorrow? I know the daily pressures to lend ourselves to things outside of God are tremendous. And perhaps you've been following a path and you would like to redirect. We stand prepared to pray for you, to partner with you, to help you walk towards God alone. Maybe you've been studying. Maybe you know the truth and believe and are ready to be baptized. The baptistry is is, is ready behind me. The water has been prepared. We stand prepared to baptize you. I know this room is full of those with needs, so if there are any that we can address, we invite you to come forward as we stand and as we sing.